0: Big things always start somewhere. I believe in big things for this church. I believe in big things for each of you. I'm believing big things for the Lewises. It's also fun whenever people are unsuspecting, and God calls their name, and it surprises them. You know what's beautiful is that Jonathan has not been on a he's not been on a youth pastor career track. You know, those are the best ones, is the ones that God raises up and puts a calling on them and says, I want you to serve in this area. So I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through many of you. Many of you are unsuspecting (laughs) at all, and God's going to get a hold of you, and God's going to put something inside of your heart that's going to be unshakable. He's going to raise you up, and we're going to have healers and preachers and pastors and teachers, evangelists. We're going to have prophets that are going to be raising up from King's Church, the ones that never thought that they could serve the Lord in those ways. God's going to do it. So beginnings, I love beginnings. We're going to look at it. We're starting a series this week called The God That Shakes the Mountain. It's going to be four weeks starting now. And it's going to be a sort of a a, a, a look at the beginning of the people of Israel, the beginning of God's plan of redemption in the world. So this is a, a little bit of a little bit of Old Testament history, but we're not going to really deep dive into the history part. We're going to really just focus on one event that happened on a mountain in the Middle East thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, because I believe that this one encounter, these just few verses, these serve as the hinge pin, these serve as one of the keystones of our entire faith, because it gives us a glimpse into what God wants to do, what I believe He wants to do in the heart of every believer. You with me on this? So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus. There's a myth in the church in America that forgiveness is really what our faith is all about, and heaven is really what it's all about. Anybody, you know what I mean by that? that? That the whole point of the Christian faith is to get forgiven of our sins so that what? We can go to heaven. There's a transaction that has to happen. We've done, we're bad people. We've done bad things. This angry God needs to forgive us. And once he does so, then we get to go to heaven. And I think this, that's, that's how many of us sort of have been taught about our faith. Um, and I'm, I just want to ask the question, what if God wants more for us here and now? I, I think he does want to forgive and he does want us to be with him in heaven, but I'm thinking, what if there's more that he wants for you and I here today, 2019, wherever we are? Um, and some of us, we might have some ideas about what God wants. You know, maybe we think, well, God really just, he wants us to obey all the rules, He's forgiven us, but now he wants us to be good people and not do bad things and to obey the rules. Anybody think that? That God wants us to obey the rules? The Bible is a list of rules and we need to obey them because that makes us good people. Or maybe we think that really what God wants for us is just to, to do good things to other people. He wants us to help people and to do good and help old ladies cross the street or buy cookies from the Girl Scouts outside of Walmart, you know, um, Maybe we think that God really just wants us to be happy. Or maybe we think that, you know, I don't really know if God cares at all what I do. He's forgiven me. I'm going to heaven. As far as I'm concerned, God just is up there and I'm down here. I'm going to do my thing. And it's, it's sort of the, this, the, these myths in our culture about the faith. This is why I want to come back to, um, to, to, to the scripture and say, what does God really want for his people? So we're in the book of Exodus, and if you, if you don't know a whole lot of your history in the Old Testament, that's okay. You know, I want to just give you a little bit about it. You know, the Exodus is all about people going from Egypt into the promised land, you know? Maybe you've seen the old Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, and he's Moses, and he gets up and goes to Pharaoh, and that voice is, let my people go, and he brings them out, you know? Most people in, in, in America are familiar with that story. Um, But Exodus is all about a generation that had lost hope. See, they didn't belong in Egypt. They belonged in a land that they didn't even own yet. And they had been in Egypt for 400 years. And they thought that they had a good thing going, but for some reason they're beginning to lose hope. And not only are they living in a strange land, they're also being oppressed by the Egyptians. And they don't really have a good understanding of who they are anymore. You know, we're, we're foreigners in a strange land and we're, we're kind of the, you know, we're, we're third class citizens, we're slaves, we're having to, to work hard out in the hot sun. And eventually, after so many generations, the people of, the, the people of Israel just have lost hope. And I, I could ask, show sure, man, how many of us have had seasons where you just lose hope? You know, I have. I've had those. You know, maybe you're in those seasons now where you're just wondering, when is God ever going to show up and do something real or ever going to show up and do something big. I want to see God do something big. I want God to shake the foundation of my life and I want him to show himself to me and I'm beginning to lose hope. And then God steps up though in the book of Exodus. And I love it when he does. I love it when God breaks in and when God does big stuff. I love it when he steps up. So over this sort of this short period of time this group of people, this group of, 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 uh, of, of Jews living in Egypt, they saw something that they, would never, that they never thought they would see. They're seeing this miraculous deliverance from 400 years of captivity. Now they're going to be delivered into something in a place that's all their own. And this miraculous intervention begins with this one guy named Moses. He's an awesome guy. And his story kind of begins at the beginning, but I want you to go to chapter three because this is where I think the beginning of it all is. And it takes place on a mountain and that's what we're gonna look at. You see, Moses grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. He was adopted by by Pharaoh's daughter and he grew up with all the wealth and all the education and he was surrounded by this life of luxury. But one day he makes a terrible decision and he kills somebody and the word gets out to Pharaoh that Moses has killed somebody unlawfully and Pharaoh is now after him. And Moses goes on the run. He's an adult and he leaves and he leaves Egypt and he goes for a run to the far east into the Sinai Peninsula. And he has, starts over and he has a new life, a brand new life here. And he's, you know, he meets, he gets married and he begins to have a family and he's left the old life behind. He's a wanted man back in Egypt. And now here I can start over. And the Bible tells us that Moses was tending a flock, his father-in-law's sheep, Up on this mountain. It says he came to a flock on the far side of the desert and came to Horeb. I'm in Exodus chapter 3. He says he came to Horeb. The Bible calls it the mountain of God. This is one of the first times that we're really seeing this mountain. We also hear it called Mount Sinai, but it's Mount Horeb. It's the mountain of God. And there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. This is the infamous burning bush. The bush that is in flames but doesn't ever burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight why the bush does not burn up. And Moses has this incredible encounter with God. And, and God says, Moses, I've chosen you for a particular task. I've heard the cry of my people and I'm about to deliver them. And I'm going to send you back to be an agent of, of deliverance for them. And Moses has all kinds of arguments like, yeah, really, you've you got to be joking. I can't do this. And look at what he says here. But Moses said to God, this is in verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So he gives him that sign. He's standing on the top of this highest peak in this range of mountains in southern Saudi Arabia now. And God says, Moses, I'm going to send you back. And when you do, I'm going to give you a sign. I promise you. I promise you I'm going to be with you. And when you deliver them out, we're going to worship, you're going to worship God on this mountain again. Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And so that's exactly what he does. These very things happen. Chapter 4, he goes back to Egypt. Chapter 5, uh, the, 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 he goes and, and he asks Pharaoh, and then all of a sudden in chapter 5, the resistance begins to increase. Pharaoh is not happy about this request, and they says, okay, you're unhappy? How about I double up your workload, and the hand of oppression is going to come heavier down upon you? Chapter 6, God reminds Moses of the promise he made. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, God begins to orchestrate these supernatural plagues that bring affliction upon the people of Egypt. And finally, at the end of that, Pharaoh says, okay, you guys can go. I've had enough of it. Chapter 12 talks about the Passover where the firstborn is gone. The firstborn of every family is to be killed by the angel of death. And the Israelites are supposed to paint blood on their doorposts so that the angel of death will pass over. Chapters 13 and 14, they're on the run. They're making their way through with Pharaoh's army so fast behind them. And they come to the Red Sea and they stop what do we do we've got death behind us and we've got an impossible situation in front of us and Moses takes his staff and the seas part just like we sang the seas part before him and in chapter 15 16 and 17 we see more supernatural provisions he brings food out of nowhere he brings water out of nowhere he helps protect them from their enemies out in the middle of the desert chapter 18 God begins to increase Moses ability to lead he raises up other people to lead with him And here we are then, we're at chapter 19, and I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite places to be, because it's a beginning. It's like, okay, we've made it out of captivity, we've made it out of slavery, and we can all take a big breath and like, okay, what do we do now? And they came back to the mountain just like God promised, and God calls Moses up to the mountain. He invites him to come up. And I, I have to believe, by the way, that, that Israel is asking some hard questions. These people of Israel are wondering, okay, what, what's happened? They're catching their breath. You know, we've seen some incredible signs and wonders in the last several weeks. But what's going to happen to us now? Has God brought us out here to die? You know, we're, we're, I'm not convinced. They're, they're thinking to themselves, we're not convinced this is even better than where we were before. At least back in Egypt, we had homes and friends and food to eat, but now we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Can we really trust Moses? Can we trust this guy? Did God leave us out here to die? And I wonder if Moses is thinking the same thing. What does God have in mind? We know he, we, we, we know he promised to bring us out to deliver us, but what's he going to do? What's he going to say? And he calls him up to the mountain. And this is what he says. And here these, these next two verses... These are where we're going to be for the next four weeks. All right? So I promise this is, this is going to be exciting, not because of anything great I'm saying, because I, I believe that the Spirit is going to show us the heart of the Father, and it's going to make So let's read this together. Exodus 19, beginning, well, let's begin at, the beginning at verse 1. I don't think it's up there, but I'll read it anyway until we get here. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, so three months later, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. What was the mountain again? It's Mount Horeb. It's where, it's, where, it's where Moses was just a few months back before, tending sheep before his life got train wrecked by God. And all of a sudden now, sure enough, just like God promised, the people are here. They're camped at the base of the mountain. They're in the desert, gathered below, That here is the mountain of God in front of them. Then Moses went up to God. He's been on this mountain before. He knows the way. He knows the path. Can you imagine him walking up here after this? Imagine him walking up. Okay, this is, you know, the path leads all the way up. And the last time he was here, there was a burning bush. How is God going to appear to him this time? Is there going to be another burning bush? Is it going to be something else? It doesn't tell us. But God called him up from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And God knows that everybody's waiting for an answer. Everybody's waiting for what's next. And Moses is waiting for what's next. And God says, here's what you're going to tell everybody. Verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Moses, haven't you seen it for yourself? Didn't you see Moses? Moses how I turned the river to blood? Didn't you see how I inflicted the land with gnats and frogs and boils and locusts? Didn't you see that, Moses? Didn't you see, Moses, how the waters split apart at the command of my voice? God says, you saw it and everybody else saw it. Now, verse 5, now if you obey me fully, And keep my covenant. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. There's a condition here. Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And I wonder if Moses was writing this down and he got to the end and he said, okay, God, isn't there anything else? Aren't you going to give us a whole lot, a bunch of laws and things we have to do? God says, no, that's it. God says, I'm offering something to you. I brought you out of captivity and I brought you up to this mountain because I want to make you an offer. I want to offer you something that no other nation on earth has the chance to. To receive. You, Moses, leader of this people that don't even have your own land. You're under the yoke of slavery. You're a no-name people living under the rod of oppressors. I brought you out for a purpose. No other nation on earth is going to have this opportunity. No other nation on earth I'm going to offer this one thing to. And God says, if you can keep my covenant, I'm going to do this for you. And guys, I, I, want you to, I, I, I want you to understand how powerful this is. Because we, King's Church, you and I, we are in this lineage of the people of God. This is our story. This is our story. The same heart that God had for Moses and for those people is the same heart he has for you and I. And when we know, we know because the Bible talks about it all throughout, even in the New Testament, we know that Exodus is not just ancient history, it's also a snapshot of what happens in the life of the believer. You guys know this, right? It's like a big, awesome, historical picture of what happens in the individual heart. God calls us out of bondage. Anybody been in bondage before? Anybody been in slavery to self, to sin, to any of those things? Yep, okay, okay, I have, right? God calls us out of our slavery to sin, and He wants to do something in us. He doesn't just want to bring us out and leave us out in the desert to fend for ourselves. This is the point I'm making right here. We're not going to be long on this. He doesn't bring us out of captivity and just leave us alone. He doesn't just save you from your sins and leave you alone. He wants to do something in you and for you and through you. And he's got a place for you over here. And he's moving you that direction. But you need to know that God has this incredible heart to do something for you. And it's found right here in the verses that I just read. And that's what we're going to look at in the next four weeks. If you keep my covenant, I want to tell you what these three things are, and we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at them. If you keep my covenant, we'll talk about what covenant means, but covenant is a promise. It's this relational promise with one another. And you notice it doesn't say, God doesn't say, if you keep my law. God doesn't say that if you obey everything perfectly. He says, if you keep my covenant, covenant is a beautiful word. In a covenant, both parties are giving of themselves 100%. You need to know that about God. God doesn't give 50% of himself to you. God offers all of himself to you. And he says, Israel, if you can keep covenant relationship with me, three realities are going to be manifested in your life. And I think this is going to be true of you and I, and that's why we're going to spend a month looking at these. The first is this. God will give you a new identity. He says, the first thing he says is that if you do this, you will be what? You will be my treasured possession. That's a new identity that he's going to give to these people. They've not, had, they've not been anybody's possession except for the oppressor. And God says, no, you're going to be mine. I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to adopt you. You're now going to be known as the people of God. That's the first thing that he gives. The second thing that he's going to give them, he's going to give them a new character, He says, you will be for me a holy nation. Holy means set apart. Holy means different from the rest of the world. Holy means pure in character. God says, I'm going to make you, you're not this way now, but I'm going to make you into a holy nation. He's going to give a new character. And the third thing he's going to give is a new destiny. He's going to give a new destiny. They are to be a kingdom of priests. God's plan with you. Begins with salvation, but it doesn't end there. He's got three new realities that he wants to introduce to you. I believe in the Christian life. He wants to introduce to you a new identity. We'll talk about that next week. What does it mean that we're God's treasured possession? What does it mean that we're sons? What does it mean that we have a spirit of sonship? And why is that so important that that's the foundation for everything else? He's also gonna give us a new character. What does it mean that he wants us to be a holy nation? He wants us to be a holy church. He wants you to be a holy family. He wants you to be a holy individual. What does that mean? How can my character be holy? I don't feel holy. I don't act holy sometimes. What's God going to do? How is he going to form this character inside of me? We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. And finally, he's going to give us a new destiny. He says we're called to be a kingdom of priests. You know what priests do? If you're from a Catholic tradition, you might think of priests. All they do is, you know, they'll... they'll in the confessional booth, or they'll, you know, read the Mass, or, or those kind of things. A priest in the Old Testament, a priest was somebody who who, enters, who stood before the people and God on the, on the behalf of the people, who offered sacrifices and offered praises and made intercession for the people. God wants that for you and I. He wants our church to be a priestly kind of church who ministers on the behalf of the world around us. New identity, new character, new destiny. We're going to look at these in the next three weeks, but I want you just to just begin to prepare your hearts and say, Lord, there is more for me than just my salvation. There's more for me than just forgiveness and going to heaven. There's a deeper reality that he wants to do. Amen? Hey, stand with me if you would. I know this was a little short. Our time was a little, uh, a little long because of some of the other things. I want to lay this foundation because we're going to jump in next week and look at this. I've got some things that I'll, I'll, I'll want to share with you in the weeks to come. Let me pray over us. Uh, Anthony, where are you? Come on up. and let's, we'll, we'll have some ministry time here at the end as well. Um, I have some words of knowledge, but I want to pray over us first, and then we'll move into this. So, Father, what you began, Lord, what you began on that mountain you're still doing today, The call that you're putting on the hearts of men and women, you're still putting that call today, just like you did for Moses. The same invitation that you gave in Exodus 19, you're giving to me. And to these ones that are here. Lord, many of us have seen what you've done on our behalf. But many of us know how faithful and consistent you've been in our life, even when we weren't. And how you carried us out of places of darkness and slavery and oppression and brought us to yourself. So, Father, we're on this mountain now with you. We're hearing your invitation. We're hearing your words. And you're offering us something, Lord. Father, by grace, we say yes. By grace, Lord, we say yes. We want to receive all of the realities that you have for us, Lord Jesus. Father, just begin to stir our hearts and open our minds to what you want to, to grow and to change, to transform. For your glory, Lord. Amen. All right.